This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Angie Bassuni. If you're worried that robots are coming for your job, you can relax, unless you're a manager. A new survey-based study out from Wharton explains how automation is reshaping the workplace in ways that you may not expect. Robots can improve efficiency and quality, they can reduce costs, and even help create more jobs for their human counterparts. But the study also finds that more robots can reduce the need for managers. The study is titled The Robot Revolution, Managerial and Employment Consequences for Firms. And one of the co-authors is Lynn Wu, a professor here in the Department of Operations, Information, and Decisions. Dr. Wu is here with me today to talk about the study. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is a fascinating area of research. It's one that conjures up all sorts of dystopian visions and sci-fi movies, but your paper is not sci-fi. It's hard science. What inspires you to want to look at this topic? Well, this paper was really inspired because, as you said, there's so many popular press articles claiming robots will take over most of our jobs. That's really heightens anxiety in everyone, policymakers, employees, firms. And this is not some, you know, random article. This People like Foreign Affairs, Harvard Business Review are publishing papers like this. Mm-hmm. And famous people like Bill Gates and uh, de Blasio, right? Both of them have proposed robot tax. De Blasio proposed this um, in the fall of 2020 to boost his failing presidential campaign. And Bill Gates has famously said that robots should tax like humans. Right. And EU even had policy briefs on how to tax robots. So this is a you know important problem to understand because we actually do not know what is the real effect of robots on employment, on the managerial work, or or very nature of work. And the studies that shows robot displacing labor are usually at the country or industry level, which is really very coarse for us to understand what's really going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we can't tell if firms adopt robots directly to substitute labor or it's because something else or some other mechanism. Like, for example, an alternative hypothesis will be the following, that firms adopt robots and became super productive and they're killing the competition. Any job loss from that industry come from the non-adopters losing competitive advantages to those mm-hmm. adopters. And as a result, these non-adopters have to lay off workers. Okay? Right. So no, this is a very different mechanism. And the corresponding policy and strategy is very different from the understanding that robots directly substitute labor, like firm adopt robots and get rid of their workers. In this case, yeah, right. In this case, the corresponding policy should be helping firms become more productive using robots, helping them to become more competitive. So that would not be a robot tax policy. It would be something Mm -hmm. like helping firm adopt advanced technologies. So part of the goal so, here is to yeah. help policymakers uh, formulate policy that's based on actual science and information and not just speculation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we need to understand at a finer grain level granularity in the sense we can't just study a country and uh, industry level because we got to go to the firm level because firm mm-hmm. adopt robots. You know, countries, industries don't. Right. So at those levels, there's so many things going on there. You can't tell. Work, you can't get at that mechanism of how robots are changing employment. And without a detailed mechanism at firm level, we just can't tell. You know, we cannot make sensible or responsible managerial policy decisions or government policies and about what to do about robots. 
So that's kind of reason why we started this work, just look at concrete evidence of how or whether robots can affect employment at all. And luckily we have access to all the tax filing and census data from Canadian government, from Citizens of Canada, mm -hmm. which covers pretty much all firms in Canadian economy. And the uh, response rate for these surveys are extremely high, like, like it can be over 90% because these responses, like just like US census are required by law. So from that, it's like from the first time we can, we actually have the ability to examine how robot adoption affects employment practices at firm level and a very large scale and to really get at what is really going on between robots and employment and how firms respond to robot adoption. You, yeah, you're, you're, the depth and breadth of the data that you worked with in this paper was really impressive from out of Canada. So in your paper, you talk about previous studies in this realm, and, and those studies have indicated that anywhere from 40% to 70% of jobs that are out there could be automated. And that translates into dramatic job and wage losses for humans. But your paper is saying that that's not really the whole picture, that robots can actually increase employment. Can you explain that contradiction? Yes, absolutely. So using this large-scale data from Canada about robot adoption and managerial practices, what we found is contrary to the popular belief that robots directly substitute labor, like firm adopt them and lay out their workers. We mm -hmm. found the opposite. In a sense, we found robot adopting firms are more productive after they adopt robots, okay? and they hire more people because they, got re they receive more demand for their labor. Mm -hmm. Okay. So any employment laws in our data we found come from the non-adopting firms. So these firms did not adopt robots, become less productive as a result relative, relative to the adopters, and they lose their competitive advantage. And as a result, they had to lay off workers. So if you average the industry and country level, you might see a negative, but it, it did not come from firm adopting robots, from the firm that did not. So our story is not saying our earlier evidence at a country and in, in the industry level is wrong. Mm -hmm. It is true at some, at some point industry and the, there is a labor substitution. Okay? But interpretation of that result is not correct. Okay? What we find is not a direct substitution of labor right. by robot adopting firms. It's, it's not about, as simple as more robots, less people. Exactly. Right? In that firm. It's really about the story is really about how do you leverage technology better? Mm -hmm. to become more productive, to become more competitive? And how do you change your managerial firm practices so you can get most out of your robot technology? Well, now I want to talk to you about that because uh, what, what I did find concerning is that your paper says is that more robots can actually equal fewer bosses, that as you improve efficiency, the need for managers to oversee those kinds of decisions that are now automated goes down. Can you explain that a little bit and talk about what that means for people in management? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are two reasons why this can happen. Okay? The first is that modern technology, including robots, can accurately capture the work process for tasks that these robots perform. What material mm -hmm. they've used, what product they've, they've created, these are all just automatically captured. But for humans, it's not that simple, right? You had to remember what you did and people's memories are imperfect. Or, Lots of human error. Or, or purposefully, unpurposefully, you know, there's human right. errors, <laughs> right? So there's this direct record keeping or direct monitoring costs are being reduced for managers. Okay. So technology can generate reports on what they what robots did, what the material they used, and they can aggregate it at the firm level, division level, 
and to, to get lots of different operational metrics very easily. And that's kind of the thing that managers tend to do. And now the, these type of managerial work, such as monitoring, can be done by modern technologies. Okay, so that's number one. Okay. And the second part is actually more important is that the managerial decrease come from the very changing nature of employment composition, the very changing nature of work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is somewhat, you know, so, so it's, it's a little, it's, it's very subtle in the sense that robot, although robot adoption associated with increases in employment, the increase, mm-hmm. okay, is, this increase is not uniform across skills. Okay. So by delving, diving deeply into the employment education level, we find that increases coming from the highest and the lowest skilled labor. Okay. So these employees have, you know, for low skills where these employees only have high school degrees or less. Okay. And uh, for high, for high de- skill, these people have university degrees or professional degrees. Okay. But for middle skill work, that is actually different. You know, so we, mm-hmm. we see a decrease in there. The middle skill work face a huge decrease in labor demand. And these people are people who have some associate degrees or some kind of professional labor certification. Okay. So when you see a huge decrease in middle skill work and increase at both extremes, high and low skilled labor, okay, so that means the type of managers you need to manage this new workforce will be different. Right. Okay. Right. So let's let's just go into a little de- detail how that works. So for low skill work, okay, they're quite standardized. You can think of the pickers and packers at Amazon or a warehouse. Okay. So the goods come in, they put it in a box, ship it away. It's kind of really easy to figure out what their productivity is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Right. It's how many boxes you pack, how many products you handled in a certain amount of time. And again, these are going to be easily captured by modern technology. Uh, and every product that's gone through your hand has a barcode that can be easily tracked over time. Okay. And because of that standardized nature of, of their work, okay, a supervisor can potentially manage many more low skill workers than before. Okay. And for high skill workers, right? Right. So you see that you have, you have huge increase in low skill worker. You can, you can meet, meet less, uh, supervisory roles, supervisors, managers, right? And for high skill worker, the, the direction of change is a little bit ambiguous, right? In the sense that on one hand, it's really hard to measure the productivity of high skill workers, right? For your work, you cannot just say how many podcasts I produced this month, right? right. <laughs> That's a complete change in incentive of what you do, right? Right. So somebody those, high to- skilled, those high skilled workers are often involved in innovation, which isn't always easily measured or easily quantified. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so you can't standardize their work and measure it in, in a way that can right. be, you know, easily done, right? So, so you still need a manager to do that. Um, but on the, hand, on the other hand, like highly skilled professionals are very good at what they do, better than their managers. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> don't tell don't the managers. Manager. <laughs> right, they, they know that, right? They, they uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure my undergraduate or some of my graduate students are really good at, you know, writing a specific uh, piece of code to do the, the particular job better than I do. Right. right, it's just the you know just different nature of work. So so they so these highly skilled professionals don't need manager to tell them how to do their jobs or making sure they arrive work on time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. Right. So managing high skilled workers are much more like coaching or advising. Right. Manager advise them to help them to achieve the best they can do at work, and that kind of skill is very different.
from supervising work, making sure they arrive on time, do the job correctly, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of ambiguous where the manager would go for high skill work or could, could go up or go down. It's ambiguous, right? But if you do have a situation where you have very, lots of low skill workers, an expensive middle skill worker, you are going to see a big decrease in supervisory roles. An increasing man high skill worker has ambiguous effect, right? But so overall, you see it keep pointing to a direction of going down for needing supervisors. And so, uh, in our data, we we have exactly seen this. Like, we see a lot more low skill worker at expensive middle skill workers, and as a result, we see number of managers have decreased as well. So there's a little good news, bad news here. If you're a firm, what 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 is the overall implication for firms, uh, for companies, uh, and even the employees themselves? What could they take away from your study? I just want to supplement my earlier answer a little bit by oh. saying that this manager results is very counterintuitive mm -hmm. because. Managers, by definition, manage other people. Right. Right. You don't expect technology to manage people for you. That's the very nature of what humans do. Right. But you see that a manager. That's very counterintuitive. And we thought we got it wrong first. But mm -hmm. we really delve in data. We see that it's really, uh, you know, coming from the changing nature of work. And actually, if you look at the our, our results, you see a big drop in year one of adoption. That's probably from direct, you know, substitution of monitoring work supervisory mm -hmm. work using modern technologies. Then you see, and you see kind of plateau a little bit, and then they get another big drop two years later. Mm -hmm. And that coming, that's probably likely coming from the changing nature of workers that these managers are managing. So, but it's, um, but the, the, that's because, you know, the type of employee you hire are fundamentally different from that, that, right. that in the past. Right. Right. So what is the big takeaway right. for companies as they're moving towards more automation or even thinking about it? There are lots of important implications. So let me just, mm -hmm. just uh, talk about a few. Okay. okay. So number one, the robot adoption and the broader automation through AI, machine learning, they're just inevitable. It's going to happen, right? The key is to figure out how to develop complementary firm practices that can best work with these technologies. Mm -hmm. okay, that's, that's a key to productivity. That's key for gaining competitive advantage. So we have already seen some of the firm practices emerging. For example, in our study, we show that robot adoption is also associated with greater use of performance pay in firms, right? If you think about robot reducing the variance of production, so you can't really mm -hmm. say, oh, we didn't make, meet a quota because of some other random factor, but those manufacturers are being minimized. So you can't right. really make that excuse anymore. So we were much better minimizing the noise around your performance. Is this corresponding to better capture performance to some extent? Okay, so that means greater use of performance pay. Okay, and there are other pra practices emerging as well. For example, we find that um, we also observe that worker predictability have gone down. Basically, before you can predict your work very, uh, very well, now you can't. Again, mm -hmm. they come from that if robots are doing all the predictable tasks, that leaves worker with unpredictable tasks. That's again, entirely changed how you manage these people, right? So what does it mean overall is that for firms to figure out what practice, what best practice to use that complement robots, okay? These firms are going to dramatically outperform the other firms. They mm -hmm. may either find it by ingenuity or by luck, by luck, okay? And we're just at the beginning of that development. Right. And most firms haven't figured it out yet. 
But when they do, they so, will gain a tremendous competitive advantage. Exactly. And that means the next couple of years, you're going to see a huge industry turbulence. You haven't seen it already. Right. The firms that figure it out, either by luck or by ingenuity, are going to kill it. Right. And the mm. firm that didn't figure it out are not. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is very important to figure out because that requires just not adoption, plug in technology into your work process. This is this is becoming a task of thinking about the entire way of your work and changing it such, such that the new reconfiguration is going to work better for you when you adopt robots or AI at large. And that's just not about technology use. This is about entirely about your managerial practice and how you manage people, how work is being done in the first place. All, all of that could be changing. So the second point is nature work is changing. And this is, has important implications for both the firms and employees. Okay? On the firm side, the type of employee you're managing is changing. And managing very highly skilled workers are uh, very different from low-skilled worker or middle-skilled worker. And the demand for these high-skilled workers are going to increase, especially as AI and robotics are becoming increasingly adopted. Right. So that means firms proactively figure out ways to manage the talent. And at the same time, you also have this large class of those skilled workers. And it's important to manage them with care as well, because these low-skilled workers are entry-level work. So in our old paradigm, we don't expect people to stay on those jobs forever. Mm-hmm. They supposed to move up to middle skill work to high skill work. Okay, but now you notice that the career ladder is broken. There's no right. middle skill to go to. There's no supervisory jobs to go to, right? So what? So that means the contract or this kind of like implicit understanding that you will move up eventually from your low skill work needs to be revisited. It's not. It's because it's changing. Firms need to really take care and regard uh, their valuable, low-skilled workers and find a path forward for them. Exactly. And that's not an easy answer. And Absolutely especially not. now, yeah, because they're, they're cut off by both sides. Super, supervisory right. roles are gone and middle-skilled mm-hmm. workers gone. And you can't expect low-skilled worker to train to be get a college degree, professional degrees for a variety right. of reasons. Right. right? So, so that's going to be very hard. That may mean that we may see a growing increase in collective bargaining, a union, and that we may see the compensation for low, low skill worker to further erode without these kind of collective bargaining. And you kind of see that in, uh, in popular news already. We see that mm-hmm. um, there was an effort to unionize workers in Amazon, Alabama, how defeated. Right. But I would imagine more of these efforts to pop up over time just because this you know, larger increase of low skill work and how do you manage them, right? It's not just about financial means, but also as career aspiration, this ladder is a whole host of problems associated with this broker, a broken career ladder for them, right? So it's quite a lot of ingenuity from both the firm, employees, and policymakers to figure out how do we restore work, dignity work, how do we restore you know, mm-hmm. financial compensation, et cetera, all, all aspects of that. Well, number three is that policymakers should also work with firm to figure out how to do to redeploy these type of workers, middle skill workers, and how to train these low skill workers too. As with all technologies, you know, um, whether steam engine to internet, some jobs will disappear and some will be created. Okay, right. it's just that in this in this wave of technology change, this evolution is a little faster than the past. Right, it so, certainly is. 
Right. So you can't wait for an entire generation of managers, employees to retire to for a for to enact a change. It happened within a person's you know career. Within, yeah, you'll find yourself behind the curve if you wait too long. Exactly. That's true. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's really important for firms to figure out well. How do I train these new skills? How do I devote resources to help these workers? How do I redeploy these human talent? You've already right. warned us. You've told us it's inevitable. It's coming. Yeah. It's not, if it's, it's not coming. at your firm already, it's inevitable. But we haven't figured it out yet, but I'm confident we will. But it doesn't mean it's not, it's not going to be, it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but I think we will figure it out. What's next for you in, in this line of research? As I mentioned before, I'm really interested in how firms use AI and all the accompanying firm practice changes associated with AI. And I think, as I mentioned before, we're really entering a new turbulent phase where the firm knows what to do about these new technologies in AI and uh, able to develop these complementary firm practices, such as new incentive systems, new way of doing work will come out as winners. And Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in seeing this process evolve and seeing this process unfold to see what kind of best practice arise. And I'm really interested in documenting that and share with the rest of the world to help everyone uh, thrive in this new technology world. And uh, I'm being focusing uh, deeply into a few industries, such as, you know, pharmaceutical industry to see how AI is developing drugs. And, uh, you know, you know, AI is, uh, you know, had played a role in figuring out a COVID-19 vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm looking at how AI can change innovation and how firm practices needs to be uh, tend to be uh, created to comp to best leverage technologies. So that's kind of things that we're uh, we're really interested in. I'm also interested in the workers and how do we help you know how do we train and help the new new generation of workers to in this new age of AI and uh, and and recognizing the challenges. And to make sure that, you know, whatever we do, it's going to be something that, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully makes everyone's, uh, you know, both high skill, low skill and middle skill workers uh, better off than before. I'm not entirely worried about high skill work. I think they'll do well either way, but I'm more mm-hmm. interested in the low, lower skill than lower skill workers and help them prepare for the future. Dr. Lin Wu, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. The full study is online. It's titled The Robot Revolution, Managerial and Employment Consequences for Firms. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more just like it on our website, where you can also find all our articles on the latest research in business. For Knowledge at Wharton, I'm Angie Bassiuni. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.